scripture reading is from Acts 28, 17 through 31. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 803 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. After these, after three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to let me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case, for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greatest numbers greater numbers. From, reading till from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what they said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they deserted, they departed after God had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For the people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can heart barely hear, and their eyes they have closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent in the, to the Gentiles. They will listen. He, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, for many of us, the Independence Day holiday has become something of a, a bittersweet experience, hasn't it? I mean, we love our country, don't we? We're justifiably proud and, and thankful to live in this great land of the free and the home of the brave, and, uh, you know, uh, it's just a great place to be. And uh, we're, I, like you, I'm proud to be American. I, you know, I sometimes get choked up when I sing the national anthem, and, and I'm just really grateful and thankful for the freedoms and the opportunities that our country has given to me. Do you resonate with that? I mean, we're so thankful. 
I am as well. But on the other hand, perhaps you, like me, share some worries and concerns about our country as you see the way it's been going and wondering where is it that we're going to be ending up. You know, uh, I, I'm, I share some of those worries too as I see the direction that we've been going, especially of, of late. You know, I'm sure I don't need to remind you that even in the past few weeks, we've seen evidence of our continuing moral drift away from values that were once held sacrosanct in our culture. We just fly into this. We think, where is this going to go? Without, as I said last week, a fixed point of reference, anything becomes, well, you know, whatever five people says it ought to be, right? You know, uh, it, it becomes very difficult to find a, a, a real a, a way of navigating our way through the future. So it's something of a, of a bittersweet holiday. I love my country, but I'm concerned about what kind of world we're leaving to our children morally and socially, ecologically, financially, and spiritually. I am worried about our country. But there's one thing I am not worried about. I am not worried about the gospel. I am not worried about the growth of the church of Jesus Christ. I am not among those who wring their hands that somehow the spiritual and moral decay in our land will hinder the forward movement of the kingdom of God. In fact, if there's one thing the witness of history teaches us, it is this. The gospel will do just fine even in the face of persecution. Should we bemoan the drift away from values? Well, of course we should. Should we seek to promote legislation that affirms these values? Well, absolutely we should. Not because we want to force Christian beliefs on others, but because we realize this is the path toward holistic human flourishing. But do we need to worry about the gospel? No. The gospel will do just fine. The question is this, when all is said and done, will we have invested our lives in the things that really matter or will we not? For it is the kingdom of God that will never end, not the kingdoms of men. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who will reign forever, not any human ruler, not any human country. And nowhere is this more clearly seen than in this closing scene of the book of Acts, which Beverly read for you just a little bit ago. Now, if you're new among us, we've been studying this book of Acts for just over a year now. We started it about Pentecost last year. And along the way, we've followed an amazing story of Ecclesia unleashed, the church unleashed, the called, gathered, sent people of God. This movement began there in the city of Jerusalem, and now it's spread throughout the course of this book westward into the world's greatest and most powerful city, the city of Rome, in the heart of the whole Roman Empire, the most powerful kingdom in the whole world, much more powerful on a worldwide scale than even we are today. A very important kingdom, and the gospel shows up there in the form of a guy who's a prisoner on trial for his life. His name was Paul, and already there had a church that had had formed there, been a church that had formed there in the Roman Empire. So somehow, the church was able to grow from this small group of people to a world-changing movement which went right right into the, uh, under the nose of Caesar itself in the very last words of this uh, book of Acts say. And so Paul was there preaching the good news with all boldness and without hindrance, right underneath the nose of the Roman Empire, right before Caesar, where they said Caesar is Lord. The apostle Paul was saying the Lord Jesus 
Christ. So somehow the gospel was able to move forward in those days without any government sanction, without any financial resources. They did this in a culture absolutely morally adrift. They did it in a culture very similar and in many ways much worse than our own. They did this through ordinary people who, despite persecution and misunderstanding, sought to live like new creation in the midst of that culture, and they changed the world. One life, one family, one community, one city, one culture at a time. Everywhere it went, there was change. And so, yes, we decry the things as they are out there. We do what we can at that level to to prevent that and to promote good Christian values, but we understand that the gospel will move one life at a time, one act of love at a time, one changed life, one changed family, one changed business, one changed community. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. It's the mustard seed principle, isn't it? Yeah. It gets planted, the kingdom of God, like leaven in a lump, like a mustard seed. In the, it grows and is changed. Culture is changed not from the outside in, but from the inside out. How do they do it back then, and how can we do it today? What can we learn from this text about how we can be a cultural changing influence in a world which has pretty much written us off as followers of Jesus Christ? In this text, we can see something about how the apostle Paul did it, and we'll learn in this text something about the power of the gospel, the tactics of the gospel, and the focus of the gospel message. So let's take a look at this text together. We, again, it's, it's tough if this is your first time or so with us, but if you can imagine, this is uh, the longest book in the New Testament, and we've gotten all the way through it. So uh, uh, that's quite an, quite, a, quite an accomplishment to get all the way through it. And it describes the growth of the Christian church, as I said, from that small group of people into a world-changing movement. And so as we pick up this story, we see that the Apostle Paul has found his way into Rome. Beverly began to read in the 20, uh, in the 22nd, uh, in the 22nd or 23rd, uh, the 23rd verse. And so we see that as he's come into Rome, he's come in as a prisoner, but he's been a, become a favored prisoner. He's living in probably a rented home. He's waiting, the Bible tells us in this text, for about two years before his trial will happen. And so he's chained to a Roman soldier for two years inside of his home. People can come and go. He's got a lot of relative freedom during that time. And uh, so one of the first things that he does is he calls in the Jewish leaders into the home. He wants to meet with them, and he wants to tell them a little bit about himself. Remember, as uh, uh, if you may recall, that the apostle is in Rome because the Jewish leaders back in Jerusalem have brought charges against him. He had appealed to Caesar. That's why he's in Rome, and so they need to come. Those those religious uh, those. Uh, religious leaders from Jerusalem need to come all the way to Rome, present their case before Paul. That's why he's there. So when he first arrives, he calls the Jewish leaders of that community uh, into his home, and he tries to explain to them something about himself. And then later they have a big meeting, and he explains the whole gospel to them, the whole Bible story from morning till evening, it says. And then at the end of that, it says he stayed there two more years in Rome, and preach the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. It was a culture morally adrift. It did not respect the church or its teachings. It was a culture there very very much similar to our own, yet the message of the gospel and the influence of the church literally changed the world. 
Let's consider those three things together. First of all, and you can go forward, Brian, to, let's consider the power of the gospel message. And here we have a Rembrandt painting of St. Paul writing one of, his, uh, one of his epistles. The power of the gospel message. I really love the way this verse, this passage ends. We're going to start at the very end. It says, it says there, uh, verse 30 and 31, He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. You see, the apostle Paul was able to proclaim the gospel message even in the midst of that empire, and he did it with all boldness and without hindrance. We need to understand that no government no political system, no, no one can stop the power of the gospel. That's what we need to see. I mean, this was just a, a powerless group of people, but they had the life of God within them, and it was powerful, and it changed people's lives. In fact, the Apostle Paul, when he arrived in Rome, had already written his most famous letter to Rome probably two years before that, the letter to the Romans. It immediately follows this uh, this. Uh, 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 this book here, the book of Acts. And in the first chapter of that book, if you have your own Bibles open, you can look at it around the 16th verse as it goes through. He says, I am eager to come and preach the gospel to you who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes for, uh, uh, to, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God has been revealed uh, uh, is from faith to faith. It is written, the just shall live by faith. There is a power of God in salvation. There is an extreme power in the gospel message. It changes people's lives. What is the gospel message? The gospel message is this story about the coming of Jesus in the uh, coming of God in the person of Jesus to bring rescue to the world. It's the story of the whole universe. It tells us that God had created a number one, a beautiful world. Genesis is one and two, a beautiful world. That this world is here by God's design, and this is one of the difficulties with the recent. Not to get into this because it's not my subject for today. With the Supreme Court decision of just a week or so ago, is it? De- it determines that God. God's design for the human world doesn't really matter. Doesn't really matter. God has created a world, uh, the, the, the twin halves of how heaven and earth are supposed to come together. And, uh, and, and God had created a beautiful world, a complementary world. And God had created it as a beautiful place. But the second thing, number two, is that this world had been destroyed by human sin, so it's broken. God in His graciousness gave us freedom to make choices, and we chose to put our own selves as in charge of this world and to fire God and to say, God, we like this world, but let us manage it on our own. And so the world became broken. But God did not want to leave the world in its broken state. And so He began a process of rescue. It began with the 12th chapter of Genesis when He first called Abraham and made him the father of a great nation. And He said, I will bless you, and through you I will bless the whole world. And so we have the beginning of the people of Israel, the people through whom God would bring salvation and rescue and into ultimately the whole world. Well, things did not go quite so well as they hoped, and there was a a long history of repentance and revival and change, but God never gave up on them. And ultimately, God came 
through His own deliverer, He sent Himself, Jesus Christ, the ultimate, final, faithful Israelite who took upon Himself the, 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 uh, the, uh, the, the judgment of God for human sin and then rose victoriously from there and therefore brought new life into the world, new creation, recreation, if you will, on the first day of the week. Uh, God brought up Jesus from the dead, and new life began to emerge, and so we had the rescue, which happened. So number one, beautiful creation. Number two, broken creation. Number three, rescued creation, and then ultimately renewed creation. And that's what ultimately will happen when God makes new everything that's old and begins that process right now in our hearts as we belong, as we respond in faith to Jesus Christ and trust Him and His finished work in our lives, we are changed from the inside out. The kingdom of God comes within us, and we become, as our church purpose statement says, living witnesses of God's new creation in Christ Jesus by becoming a community of faith and love and hope. Called to faith in the gospel of Christ, gathered in love as the community of Christ, sent with hope on the mission of Christ. We're called to be living witnesses of God's new creation. That's what they did in Jerusalem. That's what they did in Philippi. That's what they did in Ephesus. That's what they did in Rome. That's what they've done all along. God has changed people internally from inside out. Nothing can stop the power of the gospel message. It's all over. I mean, I remember when I was a young child hearing about those poor missionaries that got taken out of China when the communists came in in the late 40s and they kicked all the missionaries out. And we we're all worried. Some of you are old enough to remember this. What's going to happen to the church now that all the missionaries have been kicked out? And it was very closed for many years. Nobody really knew much was going on. And sure enough, when China began to kind of reopen and we began to go back in there in the 70s, we were shocked and overjoyed to find out that the gospel had grown enormously. So there are hundreds of millions of, of, of Chinese followers of Jesus. Governments cannot stop the spread of the gospel. What was it that really uh, worked along with others in terms of the overthrow of communism in the, in the 80s and the 90s? Was it not the growth of the church? It was the church, especially in Romania and in Poland. You see, the gospel has power to change. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel in your life. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel in your friend's life. Don't underestimate the power of the gospel to change our culture. One life, one person, one family at a time. There is a power in the gospel message. That's why we try to be a gospel-oriented church here, because that good news changes our lives. That's the power of the gospel message. Next, let's consider the tactics of the gospel message, the tactics of the gospel message. And we see the apostle Paul, I think, showing some, some very great examples of how to approach the gospel in a culture which is sometimes hostile to you. Remember, he's showing up into Rome. He's going to be tried for his life in Rome, and he's, and he's also meeting with these Jewish leaders who are the very ones back, not the same people, but the same kind of people, back in Jerusalem who had uh, captured him and wanted to have him killed. And so he's coming into this environment after all the adventures, including the shipwreck that he had just survived along with 276 of 75 others, and now he's showing up in Rome, and now it's D-Day. What does he do? It says he's there for three days. You can see it there in verse 23. All right? 
Acts 28. When they had appointed a day for him, uh, when they appointed a day, they came to him in a lodging in greater numbers. Oh, excuse me, 17, I'm sorry. After, uh, <laughs> I apologize. It's a little hard for me to read this uh, in, uh, in, the, in, in the front here. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered uh, as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. What is the Apostle Paul doing? The Apostle Paul is coming to people, the very people who are supposedly going to be trying him, and he's trying to build a bridge to them. People that some might consider enemies. And what do we see? Well, you see them written up there, three different things. Be sensitive and respectful. Be sensitive and respectful. I mean, the Apostle Paul kind of glosses over some of this. He doesn't tell that it was a, a, you know, a riot that caused him to be picked up. He doesn't tell that there had been a plot against his life there in, uh, in, in Jerusalem. He doesn't tell the kinds of false testimonies that were taken against him. He doesn't really say everything all the time. Why? Because it would not be helpful. He's trying to build a bridge. He's being sincere and respectful. He's practicing what First Peter tells us to give a reason for the hope with uh, within you, but do with gentleness and respect. The Apostle Paul approached these people gently and respectfully. You know, you and I could use a lot more respect, we Christians in this culture. We need to be respectful, even towards people who we find on the other side of our moral decision, on the other side of our political party, the other side of our issue. We don't serve Jesus well when we are disrespectful. Amen? <laughs> I never say that, but you know. Uh, there's so many times when Christians think that because they've got the right point of view, they can be disrespectful towards others. In fact, a case could be made that some of the, well, I won't, I won't make that case, but it would have helped us a lot in the last 20 years to have been a lot more respectful towards people who are suffering and trying to make their way through life in a difficult way. It would have helped us a lot. Yeah. Why did Paul not get into all the details? He could have told them all the, all the terrible things that had happened to him, but he knew it would not be helpful. What was the value of being vindictive? See, you don't have to say everything all the time. Some of us close the door for conversation by our eagerness to say everything at once. He had a soft approach. He had a gentle approach. There is something to be said for restraint when you're dealing with people of different points of view. So valuable to do that. I think his soft approach opened the door for further conversation because look at what happens here. It says here, let me find it here in, in my Bible again. Okay, he says, so notice the respectful. When they had examined me, verse 18, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason, this is the Romans now, for the death penalty. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nations. I don't have anything against you guys, really, okay? For this reason, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. They said to them, we have received no letters, verse 22, but we desire to hear from you. And so they set a time, verse 23, when a large number of people came for a more detailed presentation of his beliefs. See, the apostle Paul, in that first meeting, he gathered the leaders together, and he, got, he w was able to win a wider hearing. See, that respectful approach 
gave to Paul the opportunity for further conversation, which they had a few days later, okay? Now, then, the next thing that we see, and you see it up there, is he affirmed their common hope. He affirmed their common hope. This is very important because he says to them, uh, I had, verse uh, 18, 19, I had no charge to bring against, uh, against my nation. And, uh, uh, and he said, verse 20, For this reason I have asked to see you and speak with you, because it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He identifies something deeply important. You know, if you're thinking about the American culture, what is it some deeply held value? You know, the American dream, the rights of everyone. You see, we can appeal to common, uh, common hopes and beliefs about who we are. He affirmed their common hope. He called them together and he said, I have nothing against our people. So he identified their common hope. And he basically what he then did to do is, and we'll get to this on the third part, you're kind of tying these second and third together, is he used that common hope to then focus on Jesus, to show that Jesus was a solution to their own common hope. So backing up, we know that they're the nation of Israel. They've been looking for a deliverer, and now that deliverer, he says, has come in the person of Jesus. Well, you and I can find common hopes as well. We can look for a common hope with people. What are some of the things that really matter to us? We care about justice. We care about having good relations. We care about spirituality. Everybody wants something to believe and somewhere to belong and, and something, something to, uh, someone to become. And we have these, uh, these common hopes that we can share with people. So look for common ground with people. Find something to affirm with them. Find something to affirm. And then, as I mentioned already, Focus on Jesus. He says Jesus was the ultimate fulfillment of their hope. And so let's look finally then to the focus of the gospel message. The focus of the gospel message. And we see it so clearly stated in the last few verses. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. That was a culture where, G, where Caesar was Lord. And Jesus, uh, Paul says, no, Jesus is Lord. That was a culture which was looking for a Messiah. That's the word Christ. The Jewish people were looking for a Messiah. And Jesus, uh, Paul says, no, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And we want to focus on Jesus because Jesus is the one that we can all agree on. If we get caught up on other kinds of issues, we'll get sidetracked. And then he also focused on the kingdom of God. It says he proclaimed the kingdom of God with all, uh, uh, and teaching about Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. The kingdom of God, what? God's kingdom that God is bringing about renewal and a hope to our worlds. He became a living witness to God's new creation in Christ Jesus. And he began to speak about the coming of the kingdom of God, a brand new kingdom. Well, we discover that the, Luke tells us that he was there for two whole years. And tradition tells us that the apostle Paul was very likely released at the end of those two years. It's very likely that his accusers from Jerusalem never made the trip to make the accusation against him. And so there was a two-year statute there. You had two years to present your case. Probably he was released, but within about three years, probably 
he was back in prison, and that's when we find these other letters, Second Timothy, for example, especially, where the Apostle Paul is going to be uh, killed for his faith in Christ. You see, Jesus Christ suffered for the sake of the gospel, and so there was suffering that needed to happen, and sometimes we need to suffer too. But there is hope in Jesus. So let's believe in the power of the gospel of the message, the tactics of the gospel message, and the focus of the gospel message, which is on the kingdom of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. It troubles me that sometimes Christians have united their country with the gospel so closely that you can't separate them in their minds. We've got to see that that's wrong. We need to affirm the gospel of Jesus Christ, the lordship of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God as revealed in Jesus Christ. And so if you want to become a living witness of God's new kingdom, then you need to respond in faith to Jesus. Now notice what the apostle Paul said. He had explained the whole story of the gospel with them. In verse 23, they appointed a day for him. They came to his lodging. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced, but others disbelieved. The question for you at the end of this morning is, are you convinced or do you disbelieve? If you believe that Jesus is the resurrected Son of God, that He is the King over the all, all the earth, and if you trust in Him, you have new life planted within you by your faith. And yes, you may suffer as Jesus suffered, but you will be suffering for the sake of the Lord Jesus, and God will honor that. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, we're thankful that you were willing to suffer so that we could then be set free. And we know that this, uh, these are difficult times for us to know exactly how to live. But help us to never let go of the power of the gospel message and the focus of the gospel message. But help us also to practice the tactics of the gospel message, to be respectful, to affirm common hopes, and to point people to Jesus. So as we close our time here together with the Lord's table, we reflect again on the ultimate justice that was done that day when God came to the earth and God died on a cross and God took injustice and ultimate justice into his own body so that we could be set free. We respond to that in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.